Hi, I'm Spicy Dicey. And I'm Chantal Renee. And, and we, we love, love sex and horror. These are topics we love to write about as published authors. I love all things spicy and dicey. And I'm a big fan of sex and the sinister. Thanks for joining us for some dark, twisted, sexy, uncensored fun as we discuss sex, sex and, and horror. Hello, hello. Hello, Chantel. How's it going, everyone? Well, on with us, we have Todd Sullivan. Hey, how you doing? Great. Don't be, sh- don't be shy, Todd. Dicey and Chantel, we just bite a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and only if consent is given. Oh, uh, okay, cool. Yes, consent is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd, um, uh, Chantel, we almost had to reschedule. I have been all over the place today. Oh, gosh. And, uh, and my car, um, you know, you know how it is when you're like one or two payments from having the thing paid off? And then it decides to give you hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I am less than two. Pay- I mean, like, it's either one or two. I can't even remember. And so my coolant uh, light came on, said that I was low on coolant. And, um, and so it started smoking. I had to pull over on the side of the road. So I was there for a while. And um, and so I was contacting Todd to see, you know, we were trying to do a sound check and all that, but just in case the sound was going to be a little funny out there. Anywho, I won't eat up our time talking about that. I made it, and we're on tonight, and we're excited to have Todd Sullivan on with us, who is a horror author. Is that right, Todd? Yeah, yeah. I mostly do um, horror, but I also do fantasy, uh, science fiction, and also children's fiction. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Children's fiction. But my main thing is horror, actually. My main thing is horror. Okay. Okay. So horror tends to go through, like, a little bit of everything that I do. So in the, my fantasy is actually dog fantasy. And even my children's fiction is written for young people, but there's still kind of, like, darker elements in it. Okay. Okay. Chant- Chantel loves all things dark and horrific. For sure. <laughs> Now, what got you into writing, Todd? Tell us a little bit about what you, uh, what influenced you to get into uh, the darker side of the writing world. Well, I'm actually originally from New Orleans. I'm not sure if you guys have been there before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, you know, New Orleans is kind of, um, it's kind of a darker city. There's cemeteries everywhere. And uh, we have a lot of, like, you know, Anne Rice is from there. Mm-hmm. She was really big into vampires and voodoo is there and mm-hmm. these kind of things but there's also a lot of religion there and spirituality mm-hmm. and so i think the kind of see it in my imagination at a very early age and that's why my writing tends to be a bit darker uh ideas of heaven and hell comes in things like this mm-hmm. but it does tend to be somewhere dark and as i've gotten older i think it's become significantly more graphic over time yeah okay i know dicey does some writing with um a little does a little bit of that heaven hell uh play too right dicey i do because i grew up very religious and so it just naturally comes out uh and i i just love vampires so it was it was good to read your book butchers todd oh cool thanks yeah you had a lot of blood and guts in there um a lot of uh a lot of biting, sucking blood, a whole lot of that. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of, um, there's a fair amount of violence in it. Um, but yeah, like as I've gotten older, I guess I have become 
I've always been really good at describing scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even in the past, people would say that my writing should become, like, a graphic novel. Like, I should try to do a graphic novel of it because they could really visualize what they what they read as they yeah. read it. That would make sense. But then as time went... Yeah, but as time went on, um, as the scene became more graphic, I think it veered more and more into kind of a... Like, I consider this to be more, like, extreme horror because of the graphic nature of the prose itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you traditionally published or self-published? No, my I have two publishers. So my horror publisher is called Nightmare Press, and they're located in, I believe, Kentucky. And then my fancy publisher is Mocha Memoirs Press, and she's located, I believe, in North Carolina. Yeah, we're familiar with, uh, I'm familiar with Mocha Memoirs. Um, I have a... Actually, I have a short story published with them with the 15 women in horror. Or was it 17? It might have been 17 of us once it was finally done. Right. Yeah, the the horror sisters. It was two years ago now, I think. Yeah, it's actually, it sells really well. Uh, she promotes that one quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm actually quite familiar with that yeah, one. Yeah, I have a short in that one. And she also has a, like, I think maybe six or seven months has a uh, black vampire anthology coming out that she's been promoting. Mm-hmm. Sounds really cool, actually. I saw that. Are you going to write for that? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you know, like the 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 horror novella is a series, and the fantasy novella is a series. And I'm trying to get uh, another four of them written. Uh, like, I have two of each already done, so I'm trying to do another two. It's just a lot of writing, and I'm not sure how much time I'm going to have to write short stories also. Mm. But if time develops, I think I definitely will do so. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, shout out Mocha Memoirs to you. Definitely so. Yeah. Um, Todd, how did you end up in Taiwan? First off, this is a night of first. This is your first podcast, right? This is my first podcast. Oh, okay. yes. Awesome. We, have, we love popping <laughs> cherries. Mm-hmm. And this is—it's I mean, been fun so far. Good. This is our first international guest. Oh, awesome! Yeah, that's true. So, how did you end up in yeah, Taiwan from from New Orleans? Well, it was—it's actually been a quiet trip. So, I, I was born in New Orleans, and I was in Atlanta for ten years, and then I was in New York for three years. And after I graduated from my MFA. I actually went to Korea and I lived there for 10 years mm. and I came back from Korea maybe five months ago. And then from Korea, basically I came here to Taiwan. So it's Taiwan is like my second foreign country to live in. Oh, and wow. you're not a spring chicken then either. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'll be 42 in March. Okay. So no, I'm actually getting kind of up there. You're in good company. We're in our forties too. Yes. <laughs> A little bit older than 42. <laughs> but have you all traveled abroad before? Have you lived? Uh, have you been to expat, expat nope. before? Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. I'm not a good airplane writer. So honestly, it's not something on my list. <laughs> I would. No, the train, the plane ride does suck. It's like maybe about 22 hours wow. altogether. I can hardly take it's, four yeah, hours. It's... I don't know what I would do in 22. <laughs> Hey, you make good money. You make good money like that, and it's tax free, isn't it? What living here? You went as an expat. I mean, no, no, I pay taxes here. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, I pay taxes, and also have to pay. I have to pay taxes back home too, so it's it's not tax free. Oh, really? Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. All right. I got misinformation on that one. I know there's certain areas you can do that, but I don't know if it's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, Todd, I'm going to tell you what, as I was reading this, I was thinking he really has a mastery of, of the English language, like speaking. I mean, you know, like I could hear the voice and everything was kind of described, like you said, descriptive and the wording that was used is like the opposite of my writing because Mine is kind of bare bones and choppy. Yours was much more elegant. And and so I was curious. I was like, you know what? I bet he teaches English or something. So <laughs> when I went and looked at your bio, I saw that you were an English teacher. Is that right? Right, yeah. I teach English as a second language um, here in Asia. So I do. But I mean, I also have like a bachelor's. I went to Georgia State University. Mm-hmm. I got like a bachelor's in English there, and then I have a master's in creative writing from Queens College. Oh, the creative! So I've, I've been taught by a lot of really, really great professors yeah. over the last like twenty years. Uh-huh. But I've had a lot of really great teachers, and that's kind of like what I want to do. I I really want to give back to younger people. Like most of my students are eighteen and younger, between like I guess five and eight, five and eighteen. Mm-hmm. So I just want to give back a lot of what I've learned to them, basically, about writing. Oh, okay. So you know how people say, well, you don't have to go to school to write, to be a writer. You don't have to. Do you think that um, your MFA your MFA in creative writing really helped you to be able to, to do what you do better? So-so. I don't think you have to go to school to be a writer. No, I agree. <laughs> I definitely don't think you have to go to school to be a writer. If you just put forth for a lot of effort, and there's a lot of stuff online now. There's a lot of uh, really cool people you can meet, really cool people you can talk to. There's a lot of uh, critiquing workshops online. So I don't really think you need to go and get MFA. Mm-hmm. No, you can just do it on your own, read a lot. That's basically all that's really needed. Mm-hmm. True. What made, what made you decide to do it then? To get the MFA? Mm-hmm. Uh. Just, I figured it'd be more pay at a different job, at more at another job. And I did want to connect a little bit to uh, to other writers and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, I don't I don't really think it's necessary. <laughs> so if anyone's kind of out there deciding whether they should MFA and create writing, whether they should not, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think maybe leaning towards not maybe okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Plus it's expensive. So, you, I mean, that needs to be kept in mind. Right, right. What do you want your readers to feel and to take away from your writing? From this book in particular, Butchers, what do you want people to feel and to take away? What, how do you, once they turn the last page? Well, I definitely want them to think about the second book that's coming out maybe in four months, mm-hmm. which is titled The Great Man and Smoking Shadows. Okay. Um, so I want them to want to get that one. But, you know, uh, the horror books are really dark, but I don't want them to feel like it's hopeless. There's a bit of hope at the end for the characters, mm. but the books are really quite dark. And so I want them to experience, I guess, some of the darkness that the characters are experiencing as they go from page one to page maybe 100 or something like that. When you were thinking about doing this story, were you trying to consider what areas you wanted to put like what parts of life you wanted to to pull into this world you're creating yeah uh, i mean the story is is 
it's about a couple of things, but part of it is just about having a really bad job. <laughs> that's actually a large part of it. Mm. And that's what, uh, that's basically what, uh, it's called the Guanlo, but that's basically what it is. It's basically this, these characters who are kind of forced into working for a really, really bad corporation and then how they deal with it because they can't really escape it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically, and there's like all these rules that they have, and like a lot of times the employees don't know why the rules exist or what's the purpose of them, but they just make them really miserable. So yeah, I mean the the story is like a it's supposed to be a example of basically employees working bad jobs. Okay. Huh. Interesting. I definitely you know did. I didn't really look at it from that perspective at all. Right, right. I didn't get that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that, that that is really interesting. No, I didn't. I would never have thought that that was that was really at the heart of it. That's well, it's not, it's, it's a part of it. It's definitely a large part uh-huh. of it. But yeah, that is a part. Interesting. Of it. I'm glad to hear you pronounce that word. That was one of the the, the things that I noticed that I, oh, the that company. I was going through it, trying to yeah, the company, the Guanlo. Uh, as I was going through, I was I was wondering, you know, like, am I pronouncing these names correctly in my head? You know, the yeah, you know, when I first started doing uh, fiction, because everything I've published in the last five years comes from is based in Korea. Uh-huh. Okay. When I first started doing it, I put a lot more Korean in the prose, mm-hmm. but as I continued on over the years, I, I was I became more sensitive to the fact that um, I guess Westerners or us will have a lot of trouble, even as they read in their head, figuring out what these words, how to pronounce these words. Mm-hmm. So it's peeled it back a lot more. And I think, like, Guanlo isn't quite so hard. Um, there's a couple of more. No, no, no. I think it's the words that I have in there are relatively easy for foreigners, well, Westerners to pronounce. Mm. They're all, like, hy- a bunch of them are hyphenated. So Right, the names, yeah. like, say me, say me, uh, it's hyphenated. Yeah. Harry isn't. Uh, uh, Min Gyeong. Is hyphenated. So yeah, some of them are hyphenated. That's true. That's for pronunciation. Like in Korean, they're not hyphenated. Ah, okay. I was wondering that. So these are Korean. Uh, what, right. Yeah. Are, are the uh, what makes you want to write? Are you Korean? No, no, I'm black. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what makes you want to write Korean characters? That's an interesting perspective. Well, you know, I. Like I said, I, I study under a lot of really great teachers. And one of the first rules of writing is just write what you know. And before I moved to Korea, uh, I wrote what I knew, which is when I was living in New York, I had fiction that took place in New York. When I was living in Atlanta, I had fiction that took place in Atlanta. When I was living in New Orleans, I had fiction that took place in New Orleans. And so when I moved to Korea, I had fiction that takes place in Korea. But I wasn't really big on joining the expat community. Like, most of the people I hung around were Koreans for my 10 years there. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed natural to me to write about Koreans since these are the people I'm interacting with for, you know, an entire decade. Mm-hmm. You know, that that really makes you well-rounded. I, mean, I think it gives, uh, like, a little bit of a, a unique edge to the fiction <laughs> because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a foreigner writing from the perspective of foreigners, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I think it makes it, I think it gives it a kind of a unique edge. Yeah, I think so. And now, it, it was one of those things that I knew definitely that there was a man writing this, but I would not have said, wow, this is a black man writing this. You know, I would have thought, I would have uh, thought cool. Asian male. Hmm. 
cool. I'm glad it seems uh, natural. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, from, I'm a black female, so I wouldn't know. So if I were Korean, I wouldn't know. Have you had Koreans read it and say, yeah, you nailed that? You know, I can't say that it's, it's exactly how they would. But I mean, from my perception and what I know of Korean language or whatever of, of names and stuff, it seems authentic. But I wouldn't know if I were Korean. You know what I mean? I have, actually. Like, uh, I don't know, like maybe six years ago. I was supposed to have a novel come out that fell through with a different publisher. And I actually uh, had a Korean uh, woman who was a, she had just graduated from university to read the entire thing. It was like maybe 200 pages because I wanted to see how authentic it seemed to her. And she gave me advice here and there, but for the most part, she thought it was uh, quite well done. <laughs> and actually Butcher's kind of uh, comes from that novel so there's like there's like connections between that novel and then these novellas that are coming out. Oh, okay. Well, I find it interesting because we, you know, we're here in the Western world. We have a very different perspective with the age range that you picked for this book and the activities that were happening to minors in this book. And over there across the ocean, I'm, I'm wondering what it, how is it different for you as a writer to decide on things like that? Uh, well, I was very conscious of it. Uh, like I have, I think Sami is 17 and graduating senior. Um, but I was very conscious of how to approach certain things that happen, um, trying to always keep them never becoming too young and never being too young in the story. I think she is the youngest character uh, in Butchers. And then the next one, uh, there's a couple of kids but this is approached very sensitively the things that happen to mm -hmm. them and that's never becomes graphic at all actually there's hints but never becomes graphic mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i was always very sensitive of the age limit and then the graphic nature of the material itself as i wrote the novel as i wrote the novella right. and i have a lot of beta readers like i have a lot of people who read my stuff before i even submit it and then i have editors who read over again sure, yeah and so I had like a no. I was huh? saying yeah, I get that. Right. So I had like I have a lot of advice from people telling me when I should maybe really in a little bit, and then when it's maybe okay. It's still graphic, but still, you know, uh, I guess okay. Yeah, you don't go into too, into deep details. Um, no, I, I don't think I do. It's very violent, but I don't think I I, I try to keep the the other stuff to as much of a minimum as I can. Yeah, the sec this yeah is, what do. we're referring to readers is the, uh, I mean, uh, listeners, is the the sexual parts with the um, the underage girl. She would be underage in a lot of states here, but not all states. A lot of people are mistaken about the age of consent. Like for Texas, it's 17 here. What's the age of consent there? Uh, in Korea? Or, where, or Taiwan, where, where you are or whatever. In Taiwan, I'm definitely not sure. In Taiwan, I'm definitely not sure. In Korea, I'm not really sure either. I mean, it could be, could be 17, could be 18, because you know they start off at age one. Like they, we start off at zero, and then we go to one. They start off at one, and then their first birthday they're two, second birthday they're three. So by the time they are 17, our age, they're 18 in Korea. I did not know that. That's so, interesting. No, I did not know that. Yeah. 
So I'm not entirely sure what the age of consent is actually in Korea. I mean, I could do a quick, quick Google search, but I'm not. That's interesting. Well, just so listeners know, there was actually no consent necessarily in this particular book, but it makes sense that when you're looking at the the age to start, it adds the that extra aspect of horror. I think so. Right, it does. Anyway, I agree it does. Yeah. Um, I, I, in my book, I, I actually talked a little bit um, about a brothel. Um, I did kind of the same thing as you. I didn't bring any of that up until I got rid of the human factor. Um, and then it was a little bit different feel because they were not necessarily human. However, um, I faced kind of the same challenge of how much to show and say I think I skirted around the the age only because I know it's such a hot topic in in America. For example, uh, this year I noticed that um, on our holiday channels, we got back, baby, it's cold outside. Whereas last year they weren't playing it because there were so many people saying that it was uh, spreading rape culture here. So I was kind of like, that's pushing it a little far. But um, it's just, you know... America can just go like really either left or right extreme at you know right now in this in this day and time so in a lot of ways what you're doing is is a little bit scary for me but at the same time I could also see how it could create you know just enough push for you to really sell some books (laughs) as for me yeah I agree um but yeah I mean like I say I, I I I will I always try to I guess I try to have as many, not as many people, but I do try to have beta readers to give me an idea of how it may, how it may seem to, um, to people who read it. And, but, you know, I'm also writing for a specific audience. Like my, my dark fantasy is more for uh, people who are, I think, teens and older. Mm-hmm. Whereas my butchers, uh, my extreme horror, that, that definitely is for an older crowd, like 18 and over. And it's, it's, it is meant to be very extreme. Right. Uh, it's meant to, uh, to kind of be like a, a punch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely it's, you know, for the audience, I think it's okay. But I want people who may not be that in that audience who pick up the book to not be like offended or overly offended at mm-hmm. least uh, and still try maybe enjoy it, you know? Right. I well, thought that- your other female character, sorry. I thought the other female character was quite interesting and she was very Joker-esque. I'm surprised Dicey hasn't mentioned her because <laughs> she was insane. Like, but she was past what we saw in the, the recent film with Joaquin Phoenix. She was more after the, after he got out of the asylum insane. But she was she was awesome. I enjoyed her her craziness. I'm really glad you said that because she's actually the main character in the sequel to Butchers. Oh, nice. She's the main character mm-hmm. actually. The Gray Man Smoking Shadows is about. Yes, her. I was thinking that's yeah with the title. Nice. And I yeah, her name actually her pronunciation is Hayri. Uh, ah. What is it? Uh, Hayri. <laughs> okay, I think I was all off on that. <laughs> well, you know, I, t- speaking to what you were saying about, I, I'm all for pushing boundaries. I believe in being bold in your writing. It's fiction, and so I'm I'm all for even if they're underage. In fact, I have a story where um, the whole story is about an affair between a married mother of three and a 16 year old. I deliberately made the age 16, so I'm all good with 
taboos and um, and things that uh, end up on banned lists. That's all good with me. That I'm not offended because I know that it's fiction. And you know, it's for me. Like you mentioned, Joker um, Chantel. Like I know he's. It's the character that's killing. You know, whereas it would be different for me if he were a real life serial killer. So I can appreciate and I can be okay with the murders and the butchery in ah, I'm using your word butchers by the way um (laughs) and the butchery in the book you know because I know it's it's fiction it's fantasy it's dark fantasy it's something to be enjoyed and to end once I finish the story and go on about my real life no that makes sense I I definitely am open for people to experience what they need to experience but I will definitely say in America right now we have a bad problem with human yeah. trafficking. And so do you ever think how something like this would play into that world? Hmm. How human trafficking would play well, into the what, world? Well, like um, like what you're writing, how it plays into our actual reality of what we're dealing with, with things like that. I, I do think about it. I mean, like those kind of issues, as they, as they come up, I would probably have to respond to them. Um, but I guess I, I do think about it. Yes. Like specifically, like what's your specific question? Well, now? basically, you know, so with, okay. So in Houston, I don't know if you know much about Houston, but Houston is considered one of the number one human trafficking, um, places in all of America. Uh, we have more brothels in Houston than Starbucks, which is something they just okay. found out. Isn't that wild? And we have Starbucks like everywhere here. Um, right. And so I wonder, you know, we are pushing these boundaries and writing all these things that we think are, are fiction and, and fine. And and it's not a, to us. It's just, you know, because we're intelligent people. And then you you find this like, OK, for example, um, there was a man and I know this because I um, I do hair for a living and I cut this doctor's hair and she was telling me this man worked uh, for pharmaceutical representatives and he was arrested because was found he was going to brothels sometimes up to five times in one day. Mm. And so a lot of times they're underage there. And unfortunately they could not prove, you know, but you have people that have this, this desire and need to be in that world. Do you ever fear that what you're writing is feeding that to them? Mm, I guess I don't really fear it. No. Um, I mean, uh, I kind of feel like people can find a lot of reasons to justify their actions. Like they have something they want to do and they look for a reason to justify For sure, it. yeah. And so I'm not entirely sure, uh, you know, if the story wasn't written, that would actually uh, demotivate anyone. I think they would probably find another avenue. Right, I mean. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I don't fear that. I. Again, I was conscious of certain things. Like I, I tried to make, uh, like Harry, almost the opposite side of the coin of Samey. So there's someone who is without power. There's someone with a lot of power. Absolutely, yeah. And they kind of that did not go unnoticed. Like yeah. opposite, uh, opposite side. So I do try to create as much balance as possible. And then also, like I was saying before. I, I kind of write across different genres. So, again, this particular book is going towards a specific 
audience, whereas the fantasy is going to a specific audience, the children's literature is going towards a specific audience. So I don't know. I I I guess I don't um, I don't worry about it. I'm conscious of it, but I don't worry about it. I suppose the answer. Yeah, okay. Because, and when anytime like there is a a mass murder or something, people will start talking about what kind of mu- music did the person listen to, what kind of video games did they play. And the truth of the matter is the games, the TV shows, the, the movies, the books, the music, none of that makes people do anything. You know, it, it's either in them or it's not. If you're uh, criminally insane, then you're going to do these things anyway. It doesn't matter if um, you're entertained because plenty of people enjoy that entertainment and they don't do it. So there's, there's something there's something about whatever it is that drives people to do those things and it's it doesn't. Uh, I can tell you right now, I'm not a mass murderer, guys, because I'm too lazy. <laughs> I'm just too fucking lazy. <laughs> but trust me, I thought about it when I was younger and I had energy. I was like, some people could really use killing in this world. <laughs> <laughs> and we need some vampires. Speaking of vampires, because uh, oh, did y'all see that? What is it? Um, what is the name of that movie? Morbius. Did y'all no. see Morbius? The, the Morbius trailer earlier. Mm-hmm. Y'all didn't see that. Mm-mm. Okay, with uh, I saw it on Facebook. Yeah, man, that's coming out. Okay, y'all got to check that that um, that out. That's the, that's gonna be the next big vampire. But I wanted to ask Todd if you have seen the latest Dracula because the um, the Bram, Bram Stoker's Dracula that has been remade on Netflix. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. I've seen the advertisements for it, and I've seen people talking about it. But I have, you know, honestly, I don't watch a lot of new media. I tend to watch a lot of the stuff I've seen in the past. Okay. And so a lot of the stuff that currently comes out, I am not really all that knowledgeable about. Okay. But so, no, I haven't actually seen it. No. All right. I tell you, a lot of people, a lot of people on our Facebook group are not siding with the new vampire is sexy. And I figured that. I mean, I, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I, I probably should have found a better picture of him, but I was trying to, to uh, a better picture of Clay's bang, uh, I to go against Gary Oldman that particular picture. But I tried to find one where they were both kind of in suits, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, I knew that was going to happen, though. Well, you know, uh, and and not to take away the spotlight from Todd, but it, the the whole Dracula thing, um, it was just a different story. You know, it was just a different. He was totally trying to be overtly sexual. Um, the Gary um, Oldman character um, versus the other guy, and but I still love the new Dracula so much. I still do love it. Yeah, and it and it had nothing to do with the sex appeal part anyway. He was just mm. darkly humorous and murderous, and you would you love know. it, Todd. It was really good. It's very yeah, dark. yeah. Well, you know, I, I enjoy Bram Stoker's Dracula so much that that's such a, a high, like a high thing, a high point for me. I really, really love that movie. So I'm not even sure how much I'm going to enjoy the new Dracula. <laughs> well, there's it, it. I mean, that's really one of my favorite movies. It would be interesting to see what you thought of this new one, because uh, most of us loved it. Um, this one doesn't focus on the romance as like the the other one the correct one loved it. it's not as yeah. much sex in the horror but it's still there's still some sexual tension there but it's not like it's so much more horrific it's really good mm-hmm. okay I'll definitely check it out and one of the things that you have in common with 
Bram, your your vampires has in common with Bram Stoker's is that when they drink the blood, they kind of absorb the memories and they they do that. Um, they uh, the the memory sharing, you know, the being able to read the thoughts from the blood. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's so many there's so many like mythologies to vampires now that you could just kind of pick and choose if you're writing a story like which you want to put in there. But that was actually one that I found really interesting. Uh, that they actually is is more than just a bloodlust, and they get something a bit more from it. They kind of yeah, they just get they get something a bit more from it, just than just substances. Right. And that was really cool because the Dracula that we have on Netflix, the new show, he was very um, like, that was how he went out and he learned something. He would drink somebody who was intelligible about a certain thing so he could learn it. Yes. Mm. That was a, that is interesting, yeah, actually. That, that's actually a, a really good part of the show. Okay. Yeah. So is it like a, a, a series or is it just like, a, I guess it's a series, right? It is, but it was only three, uh, like it's an hour and a half each. There's only three um, sections, I guess, or parts. And it was like little mini movies, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cool. But so very Todd, cool. What was your hardest scenes to write? The hardest scenes to write? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, I've been writing this for so long. I mean, this this is, I've been writing vampires for so long. Like I started writing vampires when I was still in high school. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of mixing and matching for a very long time. So actually, Butchers, it came out uh, fairly easily. Um, and the next one came out pretty easily, too. I mean, it, it took me about four months to write each one. Mm-hmm. But I guess, let me see, the hardest thing to write, I guess sometimes descriptions, the descriptions of places can be mm-hmm. difficult because I want to get the places as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when I start describing something, particular scenes, I kind of write, like, maybe four sentences, then I put it aside for a day, then I come back, and I write another four or five sentences. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes, like, um, like, kind of painstakingly trying to recreate how a place looks in particular. I want it to be as authentic to Korea as possible. Mm-hmm. So those are just painstaking, I guess. Those are a bit more tedious. And, okay, I guess that's it. The, the, the uh, physical descriptions of certain things. Okay. What are your favorite scenes to write? Uh, combat scenes. <laughs> the, the fighting? I could tell. Right, the fighting. Yeah. Those are always pretty fun. Yeah, I felt very focused when I was reading those. I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's, you're watching this happen in his mind. Yeah. He's watching this happen. Yeah, that's... that's right, yeah. Like, uh, almost just... Almost everything I write has a lot of combat scenes. Mm-hmm. There's one story that I made a conscious effort to have no fighting in, in the... And the, it's a short story. It's about 6,000 words. Mm-hmm. A conscious effort to have no fighting. Mm-hmm. But all the, I guess, all the graphic uh, horror of it is um, psychological. It's like a psychological type story. Correct, yeah. But besides that story, uh, almost everything else has a lot of, of fighting in it. Mm-hmm. You, you have a lot of um, character. You're, you're very character driven as a writer, I can tell. That comes from the MFA and the bachelors. Like, you know, in the university, is uh, the writing is geared towards more character development mm-hmm. than plot. So that just comes from, uh, what, six years of studying in the university. It's, it's good, though, because when people can connect with the characters, that helps keep them in the story. 
I think so too. It's like, I think it's a good combination of doing that more. I don't want to say literary. I know some people don't like that, but I guess doing that more literary than genre, like uh, combining both of them, I think makes a very good story. For sure. Very engaging story. Correct. Are you going to continue to write uh, vampires or do you want to write some other creatures of the night that you haven't done yet? I did lycanthropes already um, for another for another story. So they were uh, they were tigers who become men. Uh, so I did that one, mm-hmm. and I did one about uh, an angel. Uh, so no, I, actually I do do different ones. Yeah, that's it. I do different types of creatures. Mm-hmm. So you do angels and lycanthropes. What else? Uh, let's see, angels, lycanthropes. Well. You know, in the fantasy, that there are elves and dragons and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I guess it's just in like the more the real world, kind of like a real world setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, angels and lycanthropes of what I've done so far, and then the children's stories—they are magic users. Like it takes place in an elementary school in a place called Suncheon, which is in uh, Korea. But the children are magic users, so I guess I did that also. Mm-hmm. What's your actual religious? belief do you follow any religion or have any particular faith that you practice uh growing up i went to baptist church mm-hmm. um every sunday on baptist mm-hmm. but my school was catholic so for elementary and high school i did catholic school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i guess it's um combination of that i did a lot of religion a lot of religious study and a lot of religion up until i was 18 years old but after that nothing really mm-hmm. do you feel like you're writing uh in influences that or that wherever you are spiritually influences your writing i've been wondering that. no my myself. uh my religious background i'm sorry what i said i've been wondering that about about myself so i want to ask you no i mean like no yeah my religious background definitely influences all my writing hmm. no i mean like where you are spiritually right now like if you were to start writing right now do you think where you are spiritually affects what you're going to write or do you think that hmm. um, uh, you the research and the actual writing the characters influences how you feel spiritually. You know what I'm I'm, I'm not sure if I'm asking that right. <laughs> mm, I, I think though that I think I understand the question. I'm not well. I think to answer the question simply, my spirituality probably doesn't. But at the same time, like here in Taiwan is. Buddhist majority, like it's basically a Buddhist country. Mm-hmm. And so I've been learning about Buddhism and experiencing Buddhism. I don't know if it's like something I'm, it's becoming a part of me or something, mm-hmm. but just observing it and learning about it. Mm-hmm. And Buddhism is going to take, definitely going to take a role in the next fiction that I do past the, the ones that I'm doing now. It's going to have a, a major role in it. Mm-hmm. But I don't particularly know if my spirituality is going to influence the fiction. It's just what I'm learning and experiencing is going to influence it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's really interesting, actually. Like the the culture here and how Buddhism affects the culture yeah. is really like the things you see are for us at least. It's just amazing. You all right, Todd? No, I'm that okay. was over here. My cat knocked something down. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I was trying to catch it. It didn't work. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> she wanted to be on the program, guys. <laughs> what does she think about all this? Right? 
She's just like, feed me. I don't care what y'all are talking about. Feed me. <laughs> so your your writing inspiration is Todd. You mentioned um, Anne Rice. We talked about Bram Stoker earl- earlier. Anybody else? Uh, Anne Rice, Bram Stoker. Um, I mean, there's just there's a lot of it. Like when people ask me on the spot, I kind of blank out. I get but, it. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, I went to all black high school, and so we read all the black authors, the classic black authors, and that's an influence. Uh, things fall apart. Uh, uh, again, when, when I have to say it, when I have to think of it, I just kind of forget. Mm, no worries. But yeah, I mean, I have a lot of influences. It's like a, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of different authors that have influenced my writing. Your writing style or just... Um like the kinds of things you write no my writing style because like uh you know my i try to make my writing very realistic mm-hmm. uh very current very realistic and i think that uh was influenced by a lot of the literary stuff that i read so i, I think in general my writing style has been influenced by just a lot of the things i've read from new orleans to Atlanta to new york to korea it's really amazing i don't know if you know this you don't have an american accent anymore <laughs> you can tell that you've lived in Korea. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a New Orleans accent. People told me that uh, as soon as I left New Orleans, uh, people told me that I don't sound like I'm actually from there. Sometimes I have to convince people that I am, <laughs> but I may not. Like I, my the people that I meet, like right now, all my coworkers, they're like uh, a guy from France, a guy from you know Germany, someone from. Uh, Canada, Australia, and being an expat, you're always around, you know, a wide range of people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. I was like, wow, it doesn't sound like at all. But yeah, yeah. New Orleans, I have a, another client who's from New Orleans, and she definitely has that accent. So when she starts talking about home, it just comes right out. <laughs> I think if I was actually around another person from New Orleans, you might hear yeah. it. I might start like drawing from them. Mm-hmm. Probably. Oh. How often do you go? Plus, visit? you know, since I, uh, New Orleans, not often, because I don't visit America very often. Like, I, in the past 10 years, I've been to America maybe five times. Huh. So, and my parents live in Atlanta now. So, when I go home, when I go to America, I go to Atlanta. I don't go to New Orleans. Do you feel very shocked when you're around um, the culture here versus from when you, where you're living now? Uh, I feel. I just notice the differences. Like I notice the differences between. Uh, I do notice it. It's it's very noticeable the way people back home, because I now call people back home foreigners. Like I, I call like Westerners foreigners. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I definitely notice a difference between the different cultures. That's interesting. Yeah, especially because you were born and raised here, and right, it's just wild, <laughs> right? how quickly you will adapt. Yeah, yeah. This is a bit strange. Do you have a wife or girlfriend there? We've not gotten into your personal business and I feel like we, we, we owe it to you to dig deeper. Uh, no, I have no wife here. I, I just kind of work a lot. And I'm sorry. I was, I, I was being friends. presumptuous. I've met people. No, no. I met people here and there, but I, I just move around a lot. Like I moved around quite a lot in, in Korea. I've been here for two and a half months. So I meet people. But I, there's nothing particularly permanent. Mm-hmm. No. I meant to, to use the word partner. 
I'm sorry. Somebody, I was talking to somebody earlier, and I, I gave the presumption of uh, a wife, and I and I need to stop doing that. You know, you could be gay, which would be completely fine too. So I don't want to give the presumption that it could it has to be a woman. So I meant partner. <laughs> but anyway, it, it would be a wife. But no, anyway, I, I'm not married. Okay. No. Is this your last stop? Do you think you're going to live anywhere else? I am. I, I plan on continuing moving until I feel like I'm too old to keep doing so because. You know, when I first moved to Korea, I was 30 years old, and I felt like I had a lot more energy. But at 42, I feel like I have a lot less It's going to go all downhill but from there. I'm, <laughs> I'm just yeah. letting you know. Yeah, I know. That's the oh, problem. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm going to keep moving around maybe for another, I don't know, like 8 to 10 years. I really want to live in Tokyo for a year or two. I really want to live in Hong Kong, even though there's so much problems going on in Hong Kong right now. But there are a couple of places I would like to live in, particularly Tokyo. I really want to live in Tokyo for a year or two. How many languages do you speak? Uh, I sp- uh, I'm functional in Korean. So as long as someone from Korea doesn't try to get too deep, like I couldn't do what we're doing now. I can't do this in Korean. Mm-hmm. But if it's like a surface conversation, not too deep, uh, relatively simple question, simple conversation, like I can do that. But anything in depth... Um, except with taxi drivers. You know, taxi drivers in Korea are used to talking to foreigners who are not native speakers. Mm-hmm. So for a taxi driver, I could talk for a long time. But besides them, uh, it's just functional. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, how's the what, what, what time is it? How's the weather? Stuff like that. Where's the bathroom? Yeah, like, am I married? I mean, like, they ask you a lot, are you married? Because the, if they tell you, if you're not, you should get married really fast. Mm-hmm. They ask you if you have kids. Oh, wow. And, so these kind of questions, They're all up I can in your actually business. answer. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they're very, uh, they're very, they ask you a lot. The taxi drivers ask you a lot of questions once you get in the cab. You just have to get used yeah. to that. But they're good to talk to and they're good to practice Korean with. Uh, so that's pretty good. One of my favorite movies is Last Train to Busan. And it's mm-hmm. Korean. I believe it's Korean, right? Yes. No, it South is. Korean. Busan, right. That yeah, yes, South, South Korea. That's what it is. Oh, such a great movie. Have you seen it? I have not, and people who are Korean are going to probably kill me for yeah. that. What I have seen, though, my first Korean movie is Old Boy. Have you seen no. this one? Okay, then definitely check out Old Boy. This is like uh, 10 years ago, at least. Most foreigners would have never heard of any Korean movie or Korean drama of K-pop, except Old Boy. This is 10 years okay. ago. I mean, everything's kind of changed now. But definitely check out Old Boy. It's a very, very good, very dark movie. Mm, okay. We love Rex around here. I've gotten some really good ones from talking to our guests. Love what? Recommendations. Uh, good movie recommendations, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah definitely old yeah, boy. I'll try to check that out. Yeah, Last Train to Busan is probably one of my, my most favorite um, zombie movies. Just oh, because it, it's so, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. You just can't stop. You're just like, oh my God. Oh my God. It's like, yeah. whew. It's fantastic. Actually, that's why I haven't seen it. I, I'm not a big zombie fan. Oh, <laughs> okay. So no Walking Dead for yeah, you. Yeah, that's actually why. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of zombies. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I love I love zombie shows. Where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, five, ten? What's your plan, Todd? What do you want to do? You want to keep writing? What do you want to do? Definitely still writing. Um Definitely still writing, living in a different country. Like, I see myself in Taiwan for two years. Uh, I want to take Mandarin at a certain point. That's their major language mm-hmm. here. Um, 
But again, I am aiming for Tokyo at some point. So that's probably in the next five years. Okay. But still writing and trying to diversify, maybe get into graphic novels and yeah, but still writing. Do you have an artist in mind? Do you I'm have sorry? an artist for your graphic novels in mind? No, no. This is just me uh, hoping. <laughs> well, it's not hard to find them. They're all over the internet. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's, yeah, that is true. It's not hard to find them. So hopefully when the time comes, uh, but I mean, I was thinking more in Japan. There's like a lot of, you know, animation oh, is yeah. really big there. For so sure. I was actually hoping like something I wrote would become a manga at a certain point. And if I'm really fortunate, become an anime at a certain point. Like that would be a dream yes. come true if something I wrote uh, was turned into like an anime series or anime animation movie, something yes. like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Put that out there into the universe, fellas. Yeah. Do you have Comic Cons over there? Do you go to festivals and stuff like that? You know, they probably, I don't know what the Comic Con, like I've only been in Taiwan for two and a half months, so oh. I'm still really learning about uh-huh. the country. Um, but there are a lot of, anyway, here I don't know about that, actually. I'm not oh. sure. Hmm. Something to explore and discover. Well, yeah, you. Right, yeah, I definitely have a lot of exploring to do in this country. You need to find out and get to them. Get your books out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely so. What kind of weird things have you eaten there? <laughs> All the questions. Uh, you know, not so much here so far. Like, here I mainly eat 7-Eleven. Uh, 7-Eleven is a really big place here in Taiwan. The gas station? And so that's... The gas huh? station? It's not a gas station. It's just 7-Eleven. It's, it's, it's not a gas oh. station, but it's the 7-Eleven. Actually, in Asia, 7-Elevens are really big. Oh, okay. uh, and so I eat there. But in Korea, I have a wide range of pretty unusual foods. I have a lot of, uh, like I've had horse in Korea, mm. um, horse, raw horse meat, uh, raw beef, raw fish, uh, where, the, where the fish is still alive on the table as you actually eat. Wow. Um, I've had um, eel, octopus, squid. Um, yeah, I mean, anything, anything you tried that was just like, okay, I'll never do that again. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, I don't know the name of it. That's the thing. It was like a, there's a couple of like, there's a seafood thing that I ate once that almost made me sick immediately as I put it in my mouth. Oh, um, but for the most part. I wasn't a big fan of one day I had uh, drunk three raw eggs that someone put in a cup. I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, I had, uh, there's like this little, uh, it's almost like a beer that they eat with beer. And I'm definitely not a fan of that. I've had it a couple of times, but it just tastes quite strange. It looks hmm. weird. So yeah, I wasn't, I, I would stay away from that as much as possible too. Do you ever cook any of the food you grew up with where you live? Uh, here in Taiwan, no. In Korea, because here in Taiwan, my apartment doesn't have a kitchen. But in Korea, I did cook. So I, I cooked some of the things that, I mean, yeah, I cooked some of the things I grew up with, but just a little bit. I'm not really much ah, of a cook. Okay. Do you miss that I about here? What, what, or first, do you miss that about not being here? And secondly, what is the main thing that you miss from being here? Uh, do I miss the food? I do miss the food. I missed it a lot more in my 30s. I feel like now I've gotten used okay. to it, uh, not having it very often. But I know when I used to go home, 
the first thing I want to do is eat a lot of things I hadn't had before. But now, I don't know. I I, I guess I'm just still, well, yeah, we're always changing. But now it's not quite so much of a big deal to me. Uh, What did I miss about home? Well, of course, family, but going beyond family. um, I don't know, familiar, being like, things being familiar, even though that becomes kind of boring. But sometimes it's really nice to have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen next. Whereas when you're in a foreign country, their familiar is real weird. And so it, it's just constantly, you know, being your toes. So just relaxing. I guess relaxing is what I kind of miss. Yeah. Sometimes, not very often, but sometimes. You know what? How are you treated there? Um, you know, like as a black male in a different, you, uh, like what's the racial makeup around you? You know, Taiwan, Taipei, I'm in Taipei. It's actually a lot of foreigners here. A lot of foreigners, a lot of Westerners in Taipei. And they've been here for a while, too. Um, There's a lot of married Westerners here. Um, Like, at the place that I teach at, a lot of the kids are half Taiwanese, half, like, European, half Australian, half Canadian, half American. Um, So Taiwan, Taipei is a, a fairly international, relaxed city. And the places I lived in Korea, I lived in pretty small places in Korea where I would be almost like the or- only foreigner there and definitely the only black person there. So it's just, you know, just a lot of people staring at you a lot, um, but you have to get used yeah. to it. Um, people basically leave you alone, though. I mean, it's not like people will come up and start talking to me or something. So basically leave you alone, but you get stared at a lot in Korea, actually. <laughs> okay. Like, really, just people turn around and stare at you. So you have to just, you know, get used to that. Yeah. Anything you've ever seen or witnessed there that was just, like, something you don't think you would have ever seen in the States happen? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Something really fast. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was a little bit surprised. Like, you see men in suits sleeping on benches here, in Korea, at least, because they've had, like, a late-night drinking. And the subway stops around midnight, so they can't get home. So they just kind of sleep on the bench. But they're, like, they're in suit. They just, they came from work. And you don't really see men in suits sleeping outside in America. Yeah, for sure. At all. (laughs) So that's that's actually fairly, that was fairly unusual when I first started seeing it. Interesting. Well, I know you have. And this is before. Oh, sorry. No, finish, please. Uh, this is before they think like Uber, because like things like Uber and like really easy ways of getting around have changed a lot of things. Even because Uber is in Korea, Uber's in Uber, a form of Uber's in Korea, and then Uber here in Taiwan. So this is this is like maybe ten years ago that I saw this. Oh, okay. But recently, you don't really see that too often anymore. There's too many easy ways to get back home. Makes sense. Now. I know you had uh, you had another appointment after this, so I didn't want to eat into your time. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you, find your books, and also where to find you on social media? Right. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. But my main thing is actually Facebook. That's what I use the most. Uh, my book, Hollow Men, is available now uh, from Mocha Memoir Press. The next one should be coming out in the spring. Uh, called There Will Be One. Uh, my book, Butchers, is available from Nightmare Press. The next one, The Great Man Smoking Shadows, should be coming out in maybe three or four months. 
And yeah, feel free to always contact me. That's awesome. wonderful. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, you so for much for me. your time and for your patience with me earlier when I was trying to get my shit together. No problem at all. When she was stranded on the side yeah. of the road. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. All right. This is awesome, Todd. And we wish you the very best in your writing career and your and I look forward to the anime. Uh, thank you. Thank you very right. much. Good night. Good night. All right. Bye. Hey guys, are you looking for that perfect logo to represent you, your company, or perhaps just your next birthday shindig? Well, you can find that person to help you create exactly what you're looking for at printprintrevolution.com. These guys do hand silk screening. They do amazing work on Adobe and Photoshop to make your images come to life. You got to check them out, printprintrevolution.com. That's printprintrevolution.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sex and Horror. Make sure you subscribe and join our Facebook group. If you'd like to be a guest, let us know. If you have a topic to suggest, a movie, TV show, book, song to be featured, let us know. You can follow me at ChantelRenee.com. And I'm at Dicey Grinner all over social media. You can find me on my website, DiceyGrinnerBooks.com. See See you next week for Sex and Horror. Horror.